Every single heartbeat is a slightly different timing. That beat to beat variation is your heart rate variability. But all of a sudden it looks like you're coming down from sick. We're gonna let you know in the readiness score that, hey, something is off here. How can we design a study that could perhaps teach all of us how to interpret some of these new technologies and you know, if people are getting sick? We try to make sure that we build our messaging and you know, build our sort of behavior change implications all about relative change and, and try to leave that up to the individual versus being too dictated. Welcome to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast, where we meet the world's top experts to explore the secrets of health, mindset, longevity, and so much more. Are you ready to take charge of your existence and biohack your life? This show is for you. Please keep in mind, we're not dispensing medical advice and are not responsible for any outcomes you may experience from implementing the tactics lying herein. Are you ready? Let's do this. Welcome back to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. Oh my goodness, friends, the excitement about this episode is insane. Oftentimes these episodes are recorded months in advance, but I recorded this and knew I had to release it as soon as possible. So it's not even that long ago that we had this conversation. Friends, I'm obsessed with my aura ring and I can't wait to hear what you guys think about all of this. And we are actually going to do a special part two Q&A episode for Aura Ring. I'll be asking for questions for that in my Facebook group, IF Biohackers, Intermittent Fasting plus Real Foods plus Life. So definitely join me there so you don't miss that. Also in that group, there will be an episode giveaway for this episode. For that, just comment something you learned or something that resonated with you on the pinned post to enter to win something I love. The show notes for today's episode will be at melanieavalon.com slash ring. There will be a full transcript there, so definitely check that out. Also, definitely follow me on Instagram. I'm posting more and more things there. I'm posting reels, which are videos. Oh my goodness, they're so fun. So definitely let me know what you think. I'm still super shy, but I am trying, friends. I am trying. If you're enjoying this show, it would mean the absolute world if you could take a moment and write a brief iTunes review. It helps so, so, so much more than most people realize. Truly, your words mean the world, and I thank you so much for that. All right, without further ado, please enjoy this wonderful conversation with Harpreet Rai of Aura. Hi, friends. Welcome back to the show. I am so incredibly excited about the conversation that I am about to have It is about a topic which is honestly a item that pretty much embodies the spirit of this show when it comes to taking charge of your health, figuring out what's happening in your body, making lifestyle choices to address that. This is the thing for that. I am talking about the aura ring and listeners might be surprised because I think when listeners think about me, think about the show. They probably think that the first thing I ever tried was an aura ring because it's just that much in line with everything. But I actually did not start using one until a few months ago. And that is because something we can actually talk about in this show, the psychology of wearing something and getting back that feedback all the time. I was wondering if it was going to make me neurotic or crazy, or if it would be hard to interpret, but actually it has been the complete opposite. I now feel like I'm going to have an aura ring in my life for the rest of my life. (laughs) And I have learned so much about my body, about my health, about my sleep. And so I am here with the CEO, Harpreet Rai, to dive deep into the science of aura, what we can learn from it, why listeners might want to bring an aura into their life as well. So 
Harpreet, thank you so much for being here. Melanie, thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate everything you do and how you share information with your audience so they can improve their health. And I'm delighted to be here. Well, thank you. And I echo it right back at you because this product, the aura that you've created is, I mean, it's a game changer. It's definitely my favorite biohacking thing that I have brought into my life. I can say that pretty confidently. And I'm sure you get this question all the time, but (laughs) you actually have a background with Morgan Stanley. How did your interest in wearables like aura, how did that start? Yeah, it's a great question. And and I think, you know, like all things great in life, sometimes unexpected. So I, I actually have a little bit of background in wearables. So I would say, you know, really my interest in sort of connected health and sensors probably started at a pretty young age. You know, my, my father was an electrical engineer. My grandfather was an electrical engineer. So obviously when I went to college, I had to be an electrical engineer. But no, no, all kidding aside, I was fascinated with technology and, you know, things like computers at a really young age. I still remember like the first, you know, 386, my dad brought home. And, you know, the first thing I did after like sort of getting MS-DOS working and playing Tank Wars was literally, I think later that night, I took a screwdriver to the thing and immediately popped off the case. Um, so, you know, I think my dad was a little upset the next morning, but, you know, we, we worked it out. But I was just young and curious. So I think I, I've always loved technology, love how it works and wanted to understand. I think technology being applied to health came a little bit later for me. I wanted to fit in in school. I looked different. I grew up in, you know, basically suburban Pennsylvania and New Jersey. You know, I'm, you know, Indian, I'm Sikh, I have a turban and a beard. And, you know, I would say, you know, when I was in high school, it wasn't cool to be a nerd. Um, I think it's getting a lot better out there, which is, which is great, you know, frankly. And, you know, for me, sports was the equalizer. It's how I could fit in. It's how I could be normal. You know, I my sport was soccer. That's that's what I fell in love with. And I felt like just at a young age, I had to work twice as hard to be half as good. Like I remember seeing friends on, you know, on the soccer team that, you know, they could smoke cigarettes, they could eat really crappy food and like a ton of sugar and, you know, be able to run a five minute mile. And I felt like if I looked at a thing of Sour Patch Kids, I'd gain 10 pounds. Let, let alone, let alone eating with it. And so I just, I just like, you know, was trying to understand in a young age, like, you know, how do, how can I train better? How can I prepare better? And I think, you know, what I sort of realized is, man, like, you know, the body reacts different, different people react different, differently to the same stimulus. And so I think, you know, when I got into college and I, I went to University of Michigan, studied electrical engineering, and specifically Michigan had a MEMS program, which is uh, microelectronic mechanical systems. And for those not familiar, it's basically, you know, the grandfather technology of sensor design and sensor tech. And so, you know, my senior design project was an accelerometer, you know, a motion sensor. And, you know, my master's design project was actually a neural probe. You know, how can we insert a neural probe into the brain without causing a lot of scar tissue? And so I always felt like, you know, these sensors and the applications in health could could really help, you know, because I had problems understanding my own health and how to optimize it. So I think that's where my fascination started. You know, I think and I ended up getting distracted, you know, when I graduated college, I think, you know, I was probably looking for a little bit of the same validation that I look for, you know, when I got into sports, right, trying to fit in and I think and, and be, you know, be cool, quote unquote. And so I think for me, that manifested itself in, hey, I want to go work on Wall Street. You know, I was graduating 2006, 2007. It was a financial boom. I had a ton of friends in the business school and they were like, 
I'm going to go work at Goldman Sachs. I'm going to go work at, you know, JP Morgan or Morgan Stanley and, you know, make a hundred grand a year. And so, you know, I thought, oh, that's the cool thing to do. And, you know, I luckily, you know, it was a financial boom. I was pretty good at math and spreadsheets and stuff. And I was able to read some interview prep guides on investment banking and was able to get a job. And so I, I ended up working, you know, in New York, in Manhattan, in New York City, you know, in, at Morgan Stanley in the M&A group. You know, I think I, a year actually into that, one year in, I gained 50 pounds my first year. So I probably gained about a pound of, you know, of weight per week. And, you know, coming in, I was 150 pounds. And so that was like a huge amount of weight. And I remember some friends saw me, you know, from college, they came to visit because I was living in New York and they're like, yeah, they were like, hey, man, like, holy cow, like this is really taking a toll on you. And I also remember it was the first time in my life where I'd come home from work and not be able to fall asleep. I'd be so wired up, whether it was a late cup of coffee, you know, whether it was just, you know, sort of, you know, I'm jacked up on adrenaline, just working till 2 a.m. under fluorescent lights, whatever it may be. It was the first time I started to experience, you know, insomnia, mild insomnia, which was just crazy to me. You know, I, I ended up leaving Morgan Stanley after, you know, just about after a year you know, it was a two-year analyst program, so I left early. That was sort of looked down upon, but I went to something called a hedge fund. And, you know, we I went to this fund called Eminence Capital. It's a $7 billion hedge fund. They've been around for 22 years. Great place. Ended up staying there for eight and a half years. And you know, I was able to go from analyst to senior analyst to, you know, portfolio manager. And I ended up getting to invest all across the tech sector, including hardware and wearables and internet companies and, you know, telecom companies. And, I think it was there that sort of, you know, my refascination sort of of, of wearables came back. You know, I was looking, spending a lot of time with the components that go into this, into these things, whether they're Apple watches or Fitbits or Aura Rings. It's, you know, a lot of the same components. You know, I actually am not one of the founders of Aura Ring. You know, I'm the CEO, but but I happened to meet the co-founders really early on. So they just announced the generation one Aura Ring. I, you know, really like was fascinated with it, knew how important sleep was after repairing my own sleep, I, you know, really was the first wearable that I got on the Kickstarter in 20, at the end of 2015, early 2016, that I never took off. And I started to realize, man, the nights I'm sleeping better, I'm performing better the next day in the gym. And, you know, honestly, by chance, just happened to meet one of the co-founders in a Whole Foods. He's wearing an Aura t-shirt and my girlfriend spotted him. And, and the rest was sort of history. I, I ended up personally investing in the company, joining the board. And then, you know, the team and the board asked me to join as president. And then about a year after as president, you know, the board promoted me to CEO. And so that that's that's a long-winded answer, uh, probably longer than what your audience wanted to hear, but but how I got here at Aura Ring. No, I love it so much. And you come with this personal experience that I think so many of us struggle with. Now it makes sense because for listeners, the Aura Ring if they're wondering what all it monitors, it looks at so many things. It looks at your heart rate, which we'll talk about your heart rate variability, your respiration, your activity levels. And you just touched on it. You know, people struggle with diet, with weight gain, with physical activity. They struggle with sleep and insomnia. That's been the biggest thing for me personally. So I think really for anybody who is struggling with anything that they're trying to take charge of, there's so much insight that can be found in this simple ring. So I have so many questions for you, but I guess to start, can we talk a little bit about the actual technology in the ring so listeners can know what it's actually monitoring? I know it has like three or more different sensors. So how do those all work and what are they monitoring? In the, inside the Aura Ring, you know, we have two LEDs. So that's a light emitting diode. And 
those are sort of, you know, two of the three bubbles you see on the inside. The bubble in the middle is something, you know, called a detector, right, or a receiver. And so, you know, just how this technology works, for those who don't know about it, you know, optical, it's called PPG sensing, photoplasmatography. I can never say that word. Um, but, but, you know, all wearables are basically using the same technology. So whether it's Fitbit or Apple Watch, you know, those blinking lights or an aura ring, right, what we do is we shine light to a certain part of the human body and we try to see a signal. We happen to use infrared light, you know, and we happen to be measuring at 250 hertz. So, so those are, you know, those three bubbles on the inside of the aura ring, you know, two LEDs and one detector. We also have three temperature sensors inside the aura ring that are measuring your temperature continuously throughout the night and day. We have an accelerometer and a gyroscope, which effectively is, you know, a movement sensor. And then we also have, you know, a standard sort of microprocessor. And all that is inside that little tiny and and a lithium ion battery, a tiny lithium ion battery. You know, that's that's so all those things are are inside the aura ring, all all wrapped, you know, in that small titanium metal package for our users. This is so crazy. Okay, some more questions about the sensors. So what is the accuracy of all of these sensors? I know I was reading that it monitors your heart at night because of accuracy. What's going on with all of that? Yeah, it's a really good question and something I wish, you know, frankly, more people who use this technology understood. So like I mentioned, all of us are using sort of the same exact sensors, really, right? These optical LEDs at different wavelengths or colors, right? And then also different speeds or frequencies. And if you can imagine sort of, you know, optics or light, and then you're seeing a signal back, it's almost like a radar, right? Or even like a satellite. And so the way it works is, you know, we shine light and we see a signal back. Now, in terms of accuracy and back to your question of like, why measure at night? Well, turns out any of these technologies, if you try measuring that signal when there's lots of movement, it ends up being really inaccurate or really noisy. Imagine like trying to shake a radar gun uh, and also measure a car that's moving by right? Like you, you need it to be stable to see the reflection of that car going by, you know, or a satellite. Imagine a satellite moving at the same time a house is moving in space, right? The, the signal is going to get jumbled. And so it's the same with LEDs and, you know, PPG technology. When you shine that light, you know, if the person's sitting still, you can see a very clear signal back. And it, it's, it turns out actually that that signal is much stronger on the finger, which we can get to later than the wrist. But, you know, when you start moving, that signal that you see that looks like a heart rate, heartbeat pattern gets very, very noisy. And so, you know, when you're moving and running or doing, you know, any type of HIIT workout, right, the signal gets very, very jumbled. In fact, you know, I'd probably estimate that really less than 10% of the time when you're moving, can you see a clear heart rate signal from wearable technology? And I think most people don't understand that. So what do companies do? Well, they estimate your heart rate during that movement. So, you know, what they try to do is you take, you know, sort of a chest strap, something that'll, you know, EKG sensor, something that is connected to your chest, that'll have a great heart rate signal. And then you try looking at this messy, noisy optical signal, and you try comparing the two and you try training an algorithm. You know, and it turns out, I think for things like running or biking or walking, a very cyclical movement, you know, where the repetition is the pattern sort of the same you can start to suss out some of that noise but for random movements throughout the day like if you're just doing chores if you're just doing you know call it any type of crossfit workout it's very hard to distinguish any real heart beats or see them clearly when you're moving 
So what all the companies try to do is just really extrapolate it. They may see a heartbeat and then they just estimate, well, that must be your heartbeat for the next 10 or 20 seconds because we don't get another clear heartbeat until then. So I think that's something we've realized it has its shortfalls. You know, people are trying to measure their heart rates in certain zones and use that workout data. You know, you're sort of relying on unreliable data. And so I think we took the approach of actually, when is this data and when is this technology the most accurate? Well, it turns out you're the most accurate when you're still, when there's no movement. So why not really focus on capturing all that relevant and accurate data without all this noise? And it turns out that the best time to do that is actually at sleep. And if you start looking at these sleep patterns and sleep patterns in general, night after night after night, you can start to see changes, right? Why was my heart rate really high that night or my heart rate variability, you know, really low? Was it that, you know, stress because I was up till 10 a.m., you know, 10 p.m. working in front of a blue light? Was it because I had that, you know, coffee at 6 p.m., right? Or actually ate really late or ate a lot of fat. And, you know, for my last meal, you know, what, what might it be? And then people can start to, you know, now rely on accurate data collected at night without movement to see and understand those changes and make, you know, healthy lifestyle decisions, as you said. And so I think, you know, that's why we focused on sort of that period to collect data. It also turns out that sleep and sleep patterns is perhaps one of the most underrated and, you know, probably most effective things you can do to understand your health. You know, getting the right amount of deep sleep and REM sleep has tremendous both physical and mental benefits and long-term health implications. And so I think, you know, that's really sort of why we focused on a ring, why we also focused on sleep, you know, for, for measuring these signals. Hopefully that makes sense. I know I got a little technical there. Hi, friends. Do you want to come hang out with me and Dave Asprey and so many other guests I've had on the show? You simply must come to the 10th annual biohacking conference. May 30th through June 1st in Dallas, Texas. And of course, I have a massive discount code for you guys. I went last year to the one in Orlando, and it was one of the most fun times of my entire life. I met and got to hang out with so many guests that I've had on the show. I met so many of you guys. And of course, there's lots of Danger Coffee and Dave Asprey approved meals and Dry Farm Wines. And that's just the social aspect. The conference itself is mind-blowing. They have this incredible expo where they have all the biohacking supplements, all the biohacking things. You can learn about them, try samples, meet the creators and founders. If you haven't tried a lot of biohacking things, it's a great chance to actually try them out in person. Things like brain tap, infrared sauna, hyperbaric oxygen chambers, and so much more. There are so many incredible speakers as well. You can hear talks from people I've had on the show, like Paul Saladino, Dr. Daniel Amen, Dr. Sarah Gottfried, Dr. Mercola, Dr. Annika Becca, and that is just a few of them. I seriously had the time of my life last year, and I would love to hang out with you guys, and you can get 35% off tickets. Just go to melanieavalon.com slash biohackingconference and use the coupon code BCMelanie to get 35% off your tickets. That's melanieavalon.com slash biohackingconference with the code BCMelanie to get 35% off your tickets. This code can be used for general admission or for VIP access. Seating is limited. They do sell out. They sold out last year. So get your ticket now. And if you come, definitely let me know because I want to meet you. So hopefully see you guys in Dallas. MelanieAvalon.com slash biohacking conference with coupon code BCMelanie. Get your tickets now. I'll see you guys there. Hi, friends. One of the most valuable things that I do every single night of my life is my infrared sauna session. The brand that I use is Sunlighten. 
I did a lot of research on infrared saunas before deciding on them. Their saunas are so high quality, they're low EMF. And what I really love is they have a solo unit. That's what I have. And it's really great if you live in a small apartment, might be moving. It's just really an amazing investment. And they have incredible deals and offers on it right now. You can actually get up to $200 off with the code Melanie Avalon. Or if you're talking to a rep, just tell them that I sent you. And like I said, that will be up to $200 off. And that will also get you $99 shipping. Normally the shipping is like $600. So that's a really, really big deal. And if you do purchase a sauna, forward your proof of purchase to podcast at melanieavalon.com. And I will also send you a signed copy of my book, What, When, Why. If you'd like to learn more about the science of sauna, two resources. I interviewed the founder of Sunlighten, Connie Zach. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And then I also recently did an epic blog post all about the science of sauna. We'll also put that in the show notes. All right, now back to the show. It does. I have a, have a quick question. So is it for the movement being an issue? Is it the relation of the device to your body, that movement? Like if you kept the ring and it didn't move in relation to your finger at all. Would it be accurate? No, it's actually the movement of the optical sensor. It's it's like if something's moving on a train, right? Like that whole train, everything inside is moving. So even if the ring or any optical wrist-based device is really, really tight, sure, that'll help. But it's actually just the basic laws of physics that you know, you're sending a signal at one point in time, you're moving. And so the time that signal is received is a different point in time you know, in a different sort of plane, which ends up moving the optical signal. So it's, it's a fundamental optics technology limitation with movement. Crazy. So, well, it measures activity during the day, but then the heart rate and everything at night, there is so much confusion <laughs> surrounding heart rate variability. I, I feel like it's one of those things where it's a term that like, especially in this world, you can say it and people will know what you're talking about. But beyond that, people are kind of confused. It's like, what exactly is heart rate variability? Do we want it high? Do we want it low? Go through the basic terminology of, I guess, heart rate compared to resting heart rate compared to heart rate variability. Yeah. So um, heart rate is just your sort of heart rate, you know, at any point in time. So let's just take some simple math here. So, you know, let's say I'm sitting still right now and let's just guess that, you know, I'm pretty calm and my heart rate my heart rate is 60 beats per minute. BPM, I think, is, is, is the standard you know, nomenclature for heart rate. And so what that means is that, okay, over the course of that minute, you know, my heart beat, you know, beated 60 times, right? Beats per minute. Well, it turns out that every single heartbeat is a slightly different timing. It doesn't mean that they happen on the second every single second. You know, there's variability naturally with the human body that one beat could be 1.1 seconds apart. The other one could be 0.9 seconds apart. The other one could be 0.8 seconds apart. And it'll still average out to 60 beats per minute. It's just the time between the microseconds between or the milliseconds between each single heartbeat. That variation, that beat-to-beat variation over the course of the minute is your heart rate variability, right? Hopefully that, that helps explain it. I think you know, what scientists have discovered over the last you know, 20 years is that it turns out actually it's counterintuitive. You want a high heart rate variability. So you want lots of variation in those heartbeats. I think I like to think about it because it's counterintuitive, like in a flow state. You know, if you're really in a flow state and you're really, you know, if, if you've ever been in the zone, you can sort of take anything that's coming your way and adapt. It's almost like a surfer on the wave, right? 
this isn't a wave, this is a wave, boom, you know, I'm naturally, I'm with it. Oh, the wave's going to turn. I'm going to turn with it. You're relaxed. And so you can sort of just be in that flow state. Your heart's like, you know, each single beat's a little bit different. Like you can handle if all of a sudden a surprise comes. I think a low heart rate variability or what's sort of seen as a sympathetic sign, you know, the sympathetic nervous system versus the parasympathetic and a high heart rate variability scenario is that you're now sympathetic to your surroundings around you. Imagine that all of a sudden you see that shark in the water, you're freaked out on that surfboard, you're reacting, you're sympathetic to what's around you, the shark's in control, not you, right? Your, your heart all of a sudden gets really, your body, you almost feel it when you get stressed, you get really tight and rigid. Well, that's really your nervous system and being reflected in your heartbeat of like each beat is like right on the dot. You know, it's like, oh man, fight or flight and I'm, I'm really stressed out. That's how I think about heart rate variability. But, but the reality is, you know, for listeners to summarize, you want a high heart rate variability, a lot of variation. That's a sign of less stress or your parasympathetic system. You're in control. Doesn't really, you're not sympathetic to your surroundings. It's like you're in control. You're in that flow state. And then heart rate itself, just, just to back up a real quick, yeah, you know, generally it's thought of lower is better. There's obviously some limitations where it's unhealthy, but if you look at marathoners, you know, extreme athletes, you, you'll generally t- tend to see very low resting heart rates. Hopefully that helps Melanie. Two super random questions. So are arrhythmias a heart rate variability thing? Like when people perceive that, or is that completely different? No, no, it's you're, you're exactly spot on, right? So there's different types of arrhythmias. There's all different types of heart conditions. And you know, when I, I think maybe think through like anytime you've watched like, you know, like what's that TV show ER or like house and you see that little like, you know, in the hospital, that little green screen that has your heart rate curve, right? It's like that little pattern that like little, you know, two little micro, you know, micro bumps and then a big, very big bump. You know, that's sort of the different ventricles of your heart, you know, pumping that blood. And it turns out that that same electrical signal has a very similar analogous signal when you move it to the optical realm, you know, when you use light instead of electricity to measure that signal. And so it's that pattern in that heartbeat, you know, the difference between those sort of waves, right, in terms of their shape, their timing, their height, right, that that can signify that something is either working correctly or incorrectly with the heart. And so anytime you have an arrhythmia, there's a normal shape in that waveform, right? And so that's why a lot of this technology can be used for cardiac, you know, things like AFib and Apple, you know, Apple Health really and Apple, you know, the Apple Watch focused on that quite a bit. You know, now in, in, in Korea, we've seen actually Samsung release, you know, changes in blood pressure or hypertension for their users in Korea. Uh, they haven't gotten approval to do that in the rest of the world yet. And so that's how this optical technology can be used for things like different types of heart issues or heart disease, you know, in the future. And if you think about that again, Getting back to the advantages we talked about before, you're really going to want to see that signal, that heartbeat signal, right? That sort of EKG that's in the optical PPG signal, right? Transform. You're going to want to see that extremely clearly. And so if there's lots of movement, if you were to try looking at that pattern, it would look all over the place. You couldn't see peaks and curves in that heartbeat. It'd be a bunch of optical noise. The human eye couldn't even see that heartbeat if you looked at a graph of all that data. And so that's why, again, why it's so important to get almost like the most clean still heartbeats throughout the day to interpret all of this wearable data. 
Gotcha. I remember one time when I was in the hospital for something and I got hooked up to one of those machines and I was so excited because I was like, oh, I can like see if I can psych myself out and make the, make the, make the heartbeat change on the machine. Those are the things I think about. Another super random question. This is more esoteric, but you were talking about how heart rate variability is basically the body's readiness to, you know, adapt to the situation with, with the heartbeat. So would that mean that like, could we have really good heart rate variability, but if we were in a environment of no stimulus, like a very calm environment, then we wouldn't necessarily see heart rate variability. Like if you're doing meditation, what would you expect to see? Yeah, it's actually a great question. So I know we mentioned, by the way, you know, Aura Ring measures your heart rate and heart rate variability all throughout the night. You know, when you're still, we, we actually do have a meditation mode where you can do the same thing. And so if you hit the plus button in the app at the bottom right, you'll see something called a moment. So you can take a moment and listen to guided or unguided meditations. And then afterwards, you can see your heart rate variability curve and your heart rate curve throughout the meditation session. And what the research and literature has shown us is that actually really good meditators are able to relax and increase that variability during a meditation session. So essentially, you know, the better you get at meditation, you are, you know, you'll be able to see that heart rate variability improve throughout the meditation session. So it's actually pretty cool that, you know, mind is over matter in one sense. And then vice versa, if you're in periods of high stress, you'll see that heart rate variability move down even during a meditation session. Actually, you know, our novice meditators in the beginning, you know how you almost like focused on every breath too much or what your mind is thinking. We actually see, you know, the opposite that, you know, the first, you know, few sessions, whether it's five or 10, your, your HRV during the session may actually go down. And then once your body, you know, starts learning how to meditate more in your mind, you're able to actually increase that HRV over time. That is so cool. Yeah. I actually last night did the moment session for the first time, but I did it while I was in the sauna in general. Is it okay to have an aura ring in the sauna? Totally is. Yeah. I love the sauna. You know, luckily I think our, you know, our rings are waterproof to 150 meters. So you could technically even dive with the aura ring. You know, don't dive too deep, but I think 150 meters is pretty deep. Yes, you can take it in extreme temperatures, you know, whether it's cold, like ice baths or extreme heat and and the ring should be fine. Okay, perfect. Because I asked listeners for questions. Somebody did ask if they could do it scuba diving. So you answered her question. But yeah, when I did it in the the sauna, because I did it near the end of my session and I realized I needed to have gone five minutes with a moment to get the heart rate variability. And I was like at the very end and I was like, I, I can't do this anymore. But I did get the the resting heart rate and it was like almost 100 just from laying in the sauna. So that was really interesting to see. Yeah. You're, I mean, look, it's, a, it's an environment essentially of heat and stress that eventually causes a positive reaction from, you know, your body and your whole immune system after the sauna, right? So it's a really good positive stimulus, just like exercise, right? Your heart rate goes up when you exercise. That's how, you know, it's, it's all about it's called super adaptation, right? Like, or, you know, so you, you know, you have to break a muscle down and then it repairs and gets stronger, right? It's that same concept. So I think, yeah, the sauna is a great one. Yes, you do have to do a heart rate, a moment for five minutes to see your heart rate variability numbers. And that's mainly because the way that heart rate variability was created, you know, the measurement is in the time domain called RMSSD, which stands for like root mean squared of successive differences. So they actually do the root mean of the success of differences in the heartbeats. And you need about five minutes according to the standard calculations to get enough data to do that calculation. So, so that's why we, you know, we make that sort of just the scientific standard to do it. 
It is so exciting. All of the the data that you get in the app. I want to applaud you because like there is so much information in there, but it does not feel overwhelming. Like it's so easy to go through and read and synthesize. I really applaud you on the user friendliness of the app. Back to the resting heart rate. Because for listeners, when you have the app, you can see, like we said, it measures at night. And so when you wake up the next day, you can see graphs showing your heart rate throughout the night. You can see trends. You get all of these different scores. You get a sleep score, a readiness score. There's an activity score. There's just so much that you can learn. And I think my my favorite thing is just how, and this is a question I have about this, is how unique it is to the individual because it really takes in your data. And then every day, listeners, friends, when you wake up, it tells you how ready you are to start the day based on a myriad of factors. So what all is going in there? Like how personalized are the recommendations in Aura to the individual and how is it determining your level of readiness, like how you should handle the day? How is it determining all of that? Great question. And yeah, and and thanks for the kind words, but really the kind words, you know, belong to our whole team that, you know, work together to to create all these scores. It's a good combination of you know, user experience, UX design, along with some great physiology and science behind it all. But yeah, we we actually, you know, everything that we do in the app is actually personalized. So I think it's sort of the mantra of like a little bit like yoga, like it's your practice, right? It's like, it doesn't matter where you start, right? It's all about self-improvement for you. And so, you know, translating that to a wearable, it's all about, it doesn't matter if you get 30 minutes of deep sleep on average or 10 or an hour, right? It's all about how can we get better? How can we see the trends? You know, it's so it's, you know, it's not absolute value, but it's actually change. I think all of our scores, you know, get smarter in the first two weeks, but really after the first month of understanding your baseline, your data. And then we start to see, okay, wait, you know, you know, normally your resting heart rate actually happens. I'm just going to make this up. You know, it gets it to its lowest point in the last 20 minutes. But all of a sudden, you know, one night, your resting heart rate actually gets to its lowest, you know, value and sort of halfway through the night. And so that's a physiological signal that you're less stressed that day. And so some people may even have resting heart rates happen, their lowest resting heart rates happen in the early part of the night, the first half of their sleep. So they're really relaxed. And so all of the data and scores all gets personalized to your baseline or your norm. Because, you know, that's what really matters, right? It doesn't matter that if you get 30 minutes or 40 minutes of deep sleep, what matters is actually, hey, I realized that my 30 minutes or 40 minutes increased to 50, 60, or 70 minutes, or vice versa. It dropped by 50% down to 15 minutes because I had some tequila last night, you know? So I think it's, it's you start to realize that the changes in my data right? This data changed for me. The score sort of reflects that for you. And then you ask yourself, we see this with our users. They ask themselves in the morning and they check the data. Wait, what did I do yesterday? And they start to realize, actually, even if I have blue light blocking glasses on, when I'm still working late at night, you know, my mind gets really active, gets really sort of, you know, my adrenaline starts going. And then, you know, it's really hard for me to get a good resting heart rate during night and and to be relaxed because I'm so wound up. And so I think you can start to realize what works for you and what doesn't. So I think that's that's what's so cool about how we built our scores. It's all about you know relative changes in your baseline that help people interpret this data and, and understand it. So if it is individual to the person and compared to their baseline, are some of the things that it is testing, some of the factors, a absolute baseline 
to compare against something that is ideal or is everything potentially to the individual? Yeah, it's mainly all the weighting and the algorithms are mainly towards the individual, but we do take, you know, and the relative change in the individual, that's what matters most. But we do look at certain, you know, averages as well. And we, we give people that. So, you know, if you look at REM sleep in sort of the sleep section of the app and you click on that, you know, the contributor bar for that sort of where it says sleep contributors and you have all the different colors and bar lines. Uh, if you click on REM sleep, it'll say that, you know, the amount of REM can vary. You know, it can make up five to 50 percent of your total sleep time. But, you know, on average, it accounts for 20 to 25 percent of your sleep time. And it usually decreases with age. So, you know, we try to give some of that information so users can start to understand, okay, what is normal? But most of, you know, the way the algorithm work is done and the scores were come up with it is on that relative change. And that's why we hear from users a lot, wow, the data just feels right. Man, I felt like I slept awesome. I looked at this and I had great heart rate variability and I had great, you know, great sleep. And, and it's like, well, that's because, you know, versus your averages, you did have a really good night. You know, if we just gave that absolute level and developed all our algorithms on that, you know, someone who has low deep sleep or low REM sleep might just get really punishing messages every single day. And, you know, that can actually be very demotivating. It's almost like to, you're just going to the gym for the first time and you can't do one pull-up or five pull-ups, right? You may be like, man, you know, I really suck. Most people at the gym can do 10 pull-ups. I can only do, you know, not even finish one. And so even if you go from one to two, you may feel really demotivated. But in reality, that one to two pull-ups is a huge progress, right? And you want to be able to actually get credit for that progress to motivate you. And so that's that's why we built our scores mainly all weighted on the relative changes. Oh my goodness. That explains why. Okay, so you know how I said in the beginning that my hesitancies was information overload. And I think my biggest hesitancy was what if I get it and then because I've always struggled a bit with insomnia. I was like, what if I get it? And it starts saying, you know, that I'm, I'm not sleeping. And then I start overanalyzing. And then I just feel basically, you know, demotivated. But that makes sense if it's adjusting to you. And it seems so much more approachable now. And it makes sense why I haven't had that reaction at all that I was a little bit nervous about. And I know it's not just me because a lot of listeners ask me that about like the psychology of using it. Would it make them more neurotic or more empowering? Like, should they get it? So that friends, that was my one concern and I have not experienced that at all. And now it all really makes sense hearing you say all of that. Well, another question that relates to that. So for example, in the sleep section, it looks at all these different factors. So like total sleep, efficiency, restfulness, REM, deep sleep, latency, and timing. And what I've noticed for me is I can actually get on some days like really, really good on every single one except timing because I am a night owl and I go to bed very late. So my timing score is kind of a massive fail. So because of that, is timing one of the things that is objective? Like, will I never be able to get like a hundred sleep score, even if I had like 100% on everything, but the timing of it was night owl? It is a really good question. Again, it is still relative based. So if you're inconsistent in timing, like meaning one night you go to sleep at 10 p.m., the next night you go to sleep at 1 a.m., you'll get more penalized in your timing contributor than if you just keep consistently going to bed at 1 a.m. So again, it's all about the relative versus the absolute that has more weighting. Timing is the one though, where actually the more you keep using the device, we start to learn what actually is your optimal timing. And so you'll actually see like in the evening, if you open up the app, 
you'll actually see, you know, when is a good time to go to bed. So I don't know if you can see it yet, Melanie. Yes, it was so exciting. I was like, oh my goodness, it's telling me I can go to bed late. Yeah, even if you open the app now, right, even if it's not, you know, close in the evening, right, still, I don't know which coast you're on, but, or where you are right now. But like, you know, if you scroll to the bottom of the app, you'll probably see something called bedtime. I don't know if you will see it or not, because you're still a relatively new user. You've only had the device for, I think, two months, but... Let me know if you see that. And if you do, you can start to see, your, it'll show a trend of your bit of your baseline bedtime and sort of your ideal window. So we start to get smarter the more and more you use it. I forget when we start giving the ideal bedtime recommendation, maybe maybe two months. I'm not exactly sure if you see that yet or not, but when you keep using it. So I'm not seeing at the bottom of there, I think it's because it's not late enough yet. I was looking at it last night and it was giving me my ideal bedtime and like when I was going to bed in my ideal bedtime. Yeah, we try to insert that at sort of the right time of the day or evening. So more users pay attention to it. Okay, yeah, that's incredible. The, the thing I was looking at with timing is in the info window, it says you're optimal if the midpoint of your sleep falls between midnight and 3 a.m. And I was like, well, I don't think I'm ever going to hit that. <laughs> well, you know why they call it midnight, right? Because it's supposed to be... <laughs> halfway through your sleep. It's midnight. Are you an early person? No, I, I don't go to bed at 8, 8, 8 p.m. either and wake up at 4, but that's that's actually where the saying came from. And so, look, I, I do think as humans, right, our hormones fluctuate all throughout the day. And if you actually look at, you know, how we evolved, you know, when the sun went down and we didn't have any, you know, artificial light, right, our melatonin would start to get released and we'd start to get sleepy. And so, you know, before sort of electricity and the modern light bulb, you know, as a society, we used to go to bed way earlier. And, you know, your hormonal cycles were all really centered around the sun. You know, I think in today's modern age, it's gotten, you know, a lot harder to do that. You know, we're stimulated by light all the time, by electronics, by even, you know, everything's on demand, late food, you know, whatever you want. So it throws all of our natural sort of circadian rhythms off. But we still, again, we try to show people that data hey, what we've noticed, you know, after a month or two months of data is this is your ideal window. And here's when you get the best sleep scores when you fall asleep at, you know, I'm just making this up 1130 p.m. versus 1 a.m. So you'll you'll start to get more and more of that data as you keep using the device over time. Yeah, that was one thing I noticed was when I first started using it, it was giving me a slightly later ideal bedtime. And now recently it's been pulling it up a little bit earlier. And so I wasn't sure if that was because I, you know, it's noticing that I'm not quite recovering or I guess there could be a lot of factors. No, that's exactly what it's noticing is that over time, as we get more sort of better nights versus worse nights, we'll start to realize most likely that those nights for you are happening on earlier when you go to bed earlier. And so that's why we're trying to encourage you to go to bed earlier. You know, so I think it's, it's also one of those things like slightly earlier, you know, it's Delta over absolute. So like, we don't want to say, Hey, Melanie, like, you're terrible. Go to bed at 7 p.m. You know, if you're consistently going to bed at midnight, that's not the right way. The amount of things you have to change in your life, and you know, is going to be so great. But hey, maybe we can get you going to bed 20 minutes earlier or 30 minutes earlier on average. And then we see that even helps. And so then maybe we start suggesting that, oh, you even go to bed earlier, you know, after that. So it's, it's sort of smaller changes lead to big outcomes versus big changes are oftentimes hard to stick to lifestyle wise. 
Hi friends. An incredible fasting aid is coffee. Yes, I am all about the coffee. I am a huge fan of its health benefits as well as how it can support your fast and really help with energy and fat burning. And I have a big announcement. The brand of coffee that I have been drinking for an entire decade now, I am no longer drinking. There's some drama, there's some science, and I'm about to tell you how to get a discount on my new favorite coffee. So I've been drinking the coffee formerly known as Dave Asprey's Bulletproof Coffee for literally a decade. I do not drink it now, so this is not a Bulletproof Coffee commercial, but I started drinking it because I so trusted Dave and his obsession in creating mold-free coffee because moldy coffee beans is a huge problem and a lot of people can get health issues, brain fog, and crash after coffee because of the mold contamination. Dave has been talking about this for so long, so I really trusted him and I would drink Bulletproof Coffee, which I absolutely loved and loved that it was mold-free. Then there was some drama. Dave sort of got kicked out of Bulletproof. He might be going back. There's a lot of stuff going on with that. Follow him on Instagram if you want to learn more about that. He even talked about it at the recent biohacking conference. But in any case, (laughs) drama aside, he can no longer speak to Bulletproof Coffee as to whether or not it is mold-free. And he ended up making a coffee even better than Bulletproof Coffee, and it is called Danger Coffee, and friends, I love it. It's the first coffee that is not only mold-free, but actually can help you remineralize. Yep, that's right. Danger Coffee contains a patent-pending formula that actually remineralizes your body with more than 50 trace minerals, nutrients, and electrolytes. On top of that, it is super clean. I know people like to see organic labels. Friends, I have learned so much about the certification industry. And honestly, the best of the best is finding people that you trust who do extensive testing and third-party certification. That's what I do with my Avalon X supplements. And that's what Dave does with Danger Coffee. So with Danger Coffee, they use a process that far exceeds government and industry standards. And it is third-party lab tested. So you can rest assured it is free of mold toxins. As for the flavor, Dave selected these hand-picked farm direct beans for their quality, their superb flavor, and their elevated performance. I love the taste of it. It's much richer and more nuanced than Bulletproof Coffee. It's honestly one of the best coffees I've ever tasted, and it's so exciting to know that when I'm drinking it, I'm actually helping to remineralize my body. So that's right. If you want your coffee to contain antioxidants, anti-inflammatories, micronutrients, and help optimize your fasting, you want Danger Coffee. And of course, I have a discount for you guys. You can go to melanieavalon.com slash dangercoffee and use the coupon code MELANIEAVALON to get 10% off. Again, that is melanieavalon.com slash dangercoffee with the coupon code MELANIEAVALON for 10% off. This is my favorite coffee. Like I said, it takes some really good coffee and convincing biohacking health reasons to break me from my 10-year decade bulletproof coffee habit. But sometimes you just got to upgrade. And by the way, this would make epic presents for people. This can just become your go-to present. Not only will people love it, but you'll be helping their health as well. Everybody wins. MelanieAvalon.com slash Danger Coffee with the coupon code Danger Coffee. Hi friends. I am so excited to tell you about something that I am obsessed with that can revolutionize your health 
help with stress levels, support longevity, and really help you when you go out and are having a bit of wine or drinks or all the things. And I'm going to tell you how to get $100 off. So I've been talking about the role of NAD in our health for so long. NAD stands for nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide. It is a coenzyme that is involved in so many processes in our body, including energy production and DNA repair. And it is depleted by things like stress, aging, lack of sleep, alcohol, and of course, too much partying. In fact, a lot of researchers believe that declining NAD levels is one of the key factors in aging. That's why I have been really interested in boosting and supporting NAD levels. And I have tried all the things. You can take precursors to NAD called NR and NMN. I still take NMN. However, I am much more alert by directly giving your body NAD. And historically, the most common way to do that that is accessible to people was through NAD IVs and NAD shots. I actually never did an NAD IV for a few reasons. One, they are extraordinarily expensive. Two, I've been doing the shots, which I liked because they were easy to do. That said, they always made me feel a little bit unwell right afterwards. And I've heard that the IV makes a lot of people feel unwell. So if the shots were making me feel unwell and that was going into the muscle first as like a barrier, I can't even imagine what putting it straight into my bloodstream would have done. Plus with the IVs, you have to sit there for potentially hours. So basically IVs were a no-go for me. So like I said, I was doing the shots, but I was like, I wish there was an easier way to do this. Then a company called Ion Layer reached out to me oh my goodness, friends, I am so obsessed. So they make transdermal NAD patches and they have studies showing that these patches actually boost your NAD levels. And what's so amazing is you put on a patch. It's super easy to put on. I have a video on my Instagram about how you do it. You basically get this patch thing with like a negative side and a positive side. You put saline on one side, you mix up the NAD with some sterile water and the NAD that they give you on the other side. Then you stick it to your arm or wherever you want to put it. You put a super cool black patch over it, kind of like how you put the patches over CGMs. And then what's amazing is there are no side effects. You don't feel unwell from it and it lasts for 14 hours. And it's so easy. You can do it at home and then you can really decide when you want to do it. So with the shots, I was doing them once a week and I was trying to do them before going out with this patch. Now I put on the patch before going out and it makes me feel so good. It really helps the next day from any alcohol recovery that you may need. And they look pretty awesome with my outfits. Not going to lie. I am obsessed with these patches. I just want everybody to know about them and they are so much more affordable than the shots or the IVs. If you want to boost your NAD levels, support anti-aging, help with your stress, help with lack of sleep, and or optimize your partying. You need these patches, friends. And I'm so excited because working with the company has been amazing and they are giving you guys $100 off, which is incredible. So to get that discount, just go to melanieavalon.com slash ion layer. That's I-O-N-L-A-Y-E-R and use the coupon code melanieavalon to get $100 off your first order. I cannot recommend these enough. I'm going to use them for the unforeseeable future, probably for the rest of my life. It's literally just become part of my arsenal now. Like when I'm getting ready to go out, usually once a week, put on my NAD patch. And even if I don't go out that week, I still like to do one once weekly. Oh, PS. They're also amazing for traveling. You guys know I'm not a big traveler. I've been doing more traveling recently and I wear these on the plane there and back. Game changer. Although it's really fun at TSA, especially because I already opt out and don't go through the scanner 
scanner thing. So they already are suspicious. And then they're like, what's that on your arm? And I'm like, it's NAD. And then they're like, what's that? And then I'm like, it's a coenzyme in your body that's involved in a lot of metabolic processes and energy production and DNA repair. And then they just look at me really weird, but it's fine. It's totally fine. So again, that's melanieavalon.com slash ion layer to get $100 off your ion layer kit. It comes with six batches, totally the way to go for boosting NAD levels. And I cannot recommend it enough. melanieavalon.com slash ion layer with the coupon code melanieavalon for $100 off. Hi friends. Okay. So I'm a little bit embarrassed because I've been talking for so long about red light and near infrared therapy, which is so, so important. However, I kind of left out something really important about light. So as you guys know, I've been talking about red light and near infrared for so long. And at the same time during the day, I was using a bright, sad light. So it's those white lights that help with waking you up, help with your circadian rhythm. They're used to combat mood issues and depression. So I have a really bright white one of those at my desk. A few things about that. I knew it helped wake me up and kept me stimulated, but I wasn't sure if it had any detrimental effects using it. And then two, I was also wondering if by just focusing on red and near-infrared light, was I somehow missing something in the full spectrum of light? Guess what? I was. And guess what? I found the solution. And guess what? I have a discount for you guys. So the founder of a company called Soulshine reached out to me and he was like, do you know about the importance of full spectrum light? And I was like, you know what? I've been wondering about this for quite a while. Please educate me. Oh my goodness. This man blew my mind. I talk a lot about the problems of blue light. That said, we evolved in natural full spectrum sunlight that our genes are programmed to respond to. And today we do not spend enough time in that light. A lot of us don't go outside and we're overexposed to blue light. It's a problem. And then to make things even more problematic, the common sad lights that I was talking about that are bright white, they actually do not contain the full spectrum light. They filter out certain wavelengths and they're high in blue light. So just like I thought, it was not doing my health many services. There is only one company I have found, or I guess that found me, that makes a full spectrum white light device. So the Soul Light Systems include the fullest spectrum of visible and invisible near-infrared light with traces of UV light. Yep, that's right, because you need all of that as well. Don't worry, it's not an exuberant amount that's going to cause a problem. It's just a tiny little dose that your body actually needs. You can use these lights to fix your circadian rhythm and properly stimulate your brain's suprachiasmatic nucleus, or SCN, in a way that it was supposed to be stimulated. It's kind of like the natural spectral diet. Because yes, you may be suffering from malillumination. Did you know that your entire bloodstream actually filters through your eyes in a relatively short amount of time. That's the only way your blood is exposed to the outside world. So when we expose our eyes to this light, it actually can have beneficial effects on our blood. That is crazy. It helps with skin, with mood. This is the light that I wasn't thinking about that we need. I love Soulshine's light therapy devices. I do use it in combination with my red and near-infrared light devices as well so that I can fully bathe my body in the best light that is so helpful for my sleep, for my stress, for my metabolism, for my immunity, for my health, so many things. They have so many different device options. They have one that I love that kind of looks like a juve and I sit it on my desk and it has options for the full spectrum light, which is that bright white light, as well as an ear infrared option. So what I do is I do a session of the full spectrum light in the morning and then I run the near infrared to help counteract the negative blue light around me. They also have stands with bulbs that you can get. I've been using some of those on my plants. I am just so grateful 
that Ken at Soulshine found me because I was missing out on such a key aspect of light and I had no idea. And you can get 10% off at melanieavalon.com slash soulshine. That's S-O-L-S-H-I-N-E with the code Melanie Avalon. So melanieavalon.com slash soulshine, S-O-L-S-H-I-N-E with the code Melanie Avalon for 10% off. It's really helped my mood, my energy, my sleep, so many things. I think you guys will love it. So again, go to melanieavalon.com slash soulshine, S-O-L-S-H-I-N-E and use the coupon code Melanie Avalon to get 10% off site-wide. And we'll put all this information in the show notes. This is just brilliant. Um, Another question is, and this is something that a listener asked me and I was actually thinking about as well. So there's also a readiness score and it has a lot of factors that it brings in based on how you slept, your activity level the previous day. So when you wake up, it says basically how ready you are to tackle the day. And if you should, you know, have a more vigorous day or a more recovering, relaxing day. Does it matter at all the reasoning for why that happened? Like a listener asked, for example, what if their readiness is lower and the reasoning they think is probably because the day before they way overindulged in like a meal the night before. And so actually their intuition tells them they want to be exercising. And, you know, that's kind of the opposite of what or is suggesting. Where are those suggestions coming from for readiness? And what does it mean exactly when it says we should take a, a rest day or a recovery day? Maybe I'll give you some history on and why we created the readiness score in the first place. And maybe, you know, try to, I think that'll help understand users on how to use the data. So I think all of us probably know we can hammer through one bad night of sleep, Right. Like if I get, you know, if I've been sleeping seven, eight hours every day and then, you know, one night I get five hours, I don't feel that terribly bad, right? But if I, you know, get a week almost of six hour nights, right, which a lot of people do, I am exhausted by the weekend, right? I've sort of accumulated all this sleep debt. And so what we tried to do is actually create the readiness score as something that looks at a little bit of short-term data and a little bit of long-term or midterm data to you know, account for that, right? It's sort of the cumulative impact that hurts us over time versus just one given data point or one given night. So the way the readiness score works is, you know, we take basically your last night of sleep and your last you know day of activity, like how active you were. Then we look at you know both the two week average of your sleep patterns and the two week average of your activity. That sort of like goes into half the readiness score, a short term and a long term thing on sleep and activity. But then what we do is we look at a couple, you know, physiological signals from the prior night that we think, you know, imply a lot about stress. That can be your absolute level of your lowest resting heart rate versus your norm. So, hey, was your resting heart rate actually 47 versus 50? You know, is it lower or higher? That's an indication of stress. The timing of that resting heart rate, like I talked about before, did your resting heart rate happen late in the night, early in the night? You know, that also is a sign of stress. Essentially, you know, you want that resting heart rate to sort of be you know, your lowest at the midpoint, you know, halfway through your sleep. And then also we look at heart rate variability and changes in temperature as well in in the readiness score. So that's everything that goes into it. So imagine if you're getting sick, we'll start to see increases in temperature, increase most likely in heart rate, decrease in heart rate variability, and, you know, also changes in respiratory rate, which we show in the readiness score. And so, you know, even if you sleep a lot or get, you know, good activity, but all of a sudden it looks like you're coming down from sick, we're going to let you know and the readiness score that, hey, something is off here. 
And we found a lot of people, particularly every flu season, but obviously particularly this year with COVID, find that information super valuable. And so, you know, the readiness score, you know, if, for example, you eat really late, right, or eat a lot of food, yeah, your heart rate is likely to be jacked that night. Your HRV is likely to be down, you know, and maybe even your temperature is up a a little bit because you're metabolizing a know, 2000 calories for dinner because it's Thanksgiving versus your average 600. And, you know, that actually does impact you the next day, right? If all those things are happening, you haven't actually recovered that much. You didn't sleep that well. So that's actually going to affect how you perform the next day. You can see that in alcohol. You can see that if you eat a lot of ice cream, right? Like you'll, you'll sleep worse. All those metrics will go down. And even if you were to time yourself on the mile, you know, and we're consistent about it, you, you find yourself struggling to meet your normal mile times. So I think, yeah, it's even though the human tendency is, oh, you know, I think a lot of people, let's say if they drink a lot, they're like, oh, I'm going to work it off. That can actually be counterintuitive and put a lot more stress on your body and even take you longer to recover than taking an easy day. So that's why we give that guidance in the app. And, and frankly, I think for us, we try not to be too prescriptive. So taking a rest day or an easy day, I think for different people, depending on their fitness levels, right, or activity levels, that may mean different things. You know, if you're going to the gym five days a week or six days a week, you know, and you're doing compound lifts and hit interval training, you know, a rest day for you may be, hey, I'm just going to go do some light work and maybe just get a 10 minute, 20 minute jog in and do a lot of stretching and mobility, right? You know, versus for someone else who's not in great shape, hey, 20 minute jog, I, you know, maybe they haven't jogged for 20 minutes in a year or two years or longer. And so I think that's why we like to leave that up to the user, like they know themselves as well. And frankly, it's also something that we think is really important for behavior change. Oftentimes, if you're too prescriptive, you know, people can get offended. We've seen this with wearables. If you tell people, hey, reach 10,000 steps, and then, you know, after, you know, two weeks, you realize every day you're only doing 5,000 steps. Again, even if you do 6,000, that's a huge improvement. That relative change is a huge improvement, and we should applaud users. So I think, you know, we, we try to make sure that we build our messaging, build our design, you know, build our sort of behavior change implications all about, you know, relative change and, and try to leave that up to the individual a little bit versus being too dictative and, and saying you have to do this today. Otherwise, you get bad points. Yeah, it's, it's really impressive. It really feels like a very kind person talking to you specifically. <laughs> like it doesn't feel like a, you know, a random generated message from a robot. Like it feels very personal and it doesn't feel demanding. I mean, it's, I mean, I'm going to wear this for life. <laughs> like I said, so I have been wearing it long enough. Does it tell you if you have a temperature? Does it give you an alert? Yeah, you'll get that in a messaging in the app. So like you sort of said, we give you a little bit of recommendation every day in the readiness score. When you open the app, we call that our insight engine. So we try to give you a little bit of insight every day. And so, yeah, if you start, if we start to see patterns that you may be getting ill, we'll pass on the insight that, hey, it looks like, you know, your, you know, your temperature was up a degree or whatever it may be, and your heart rate is elevated, you should take it easy today. So you'll see that insight message actually change depending on what the data is. Oh, wow. And you guys have been doing work with COVID? Yeah. So actually, we were the first wearable before Apple, before Fitbit, before Whoop to announce a COVID research study. So you know, when COVID was really starting to increase during March, you know, we were already doing research with UCSF before, and you know, we had research that was planned, and and all that research was going to get canceled, right? Because you can't recruit subjects for a research study in a lockdown, you know. But I think all all the research institutions actually were trying to you know do as much research as they could on you know the virus and during the pandemic to help, right, and for us to learn. 
And so I think, yeah, we luckily sprung into action with UCSF and we're like, wow, how can we design a study, you know, that could perhaps, you know, teach all of us how to interpret some of these new technologies and, you know, if people are getting sick. So we started the study with UCSF. We donated 3,000 rings to frontline healthcare workers to kick it off, you know, because they're going to be working and in the hospitals in the COVID wards. And we felt like they're, you know, most likely to get ill. And so, yeah, we started the study there, but then, you know, we quickly open it up to our whole user base. And so, you know, we've had nearly 70,000 people enroll in our study with UCSF right in our app. We've been able now to, you know, luckily UCSF was able to get a lot of funding from different grants. So they received over 5 million in funding, you know, to send COVID tests to people that suggested they had symptoms of COVID or if they saw the data was, uh, you know, really high in the app. Luckily, I think we should have some exciting findings coming in a couple of weeks in a journal. So can't wait for that to happen. And we've even had two other studies with different research universities, you know, follow suit. So we also announced a study with West Virginia University, the Rockefeller Neuroscience Institute there, and also Texas A&M with both DIU Defense Innovation Unit and DITRA Defense Intelligence Threat Reduction, I think, agency. (laughs) I forget what that one stands for, you know, but using these rings on soldiers and both West Virginia and Texas A&M, the DIU studies have come out with press releases, early findings, not complete yet, saying that aura ring data, you know, has been shown to change two to three days in advance, up to two to three days in advance of people feeling symptoms, you know, so we can actually see changes in data before people feel sick, which could be, have huge implications in not only this pandemic, but, you know, future pandemics. Wow. Yeah, that is absolutely incredible. A question I have to ask, because this is probably one of the biggest concerns within my audience, what is the EMF exposure with Aura? Great question. So I'll probably answer that in two ways. The first way is we created an airplane mode. So you can actually turn off all the Bluetooth on the device. And so it won't emit any Bluetooth. So if you click the battery icon in the top right corner, I believe, and you you open that, if you click that, you'll, you'll actually see... Uh, Nice little thing from the home screen, that is, about your ring. And then if you swipe to the right, you'll, or sorry, you'll see there, right there, there's something called ring airplane mode. And so that'll actually, you know, turn on airplane mode or turn off any Bluetooth signals that we send to your phone. In order to turn it back on, you just need to put the ring back on the charger. And so that'll trigger it to turn regular mode, you know, turn off the airplane mode. So you can actually store data on the Aura ring without ever syncing it to your phone for two or three weeks. So technically, like if you, you know, just wanted to never sync it to your phone, leave Bluetooth off, you know, we'll store that data on the ring for two or three weeks if you don't want to, if you really want to go low EMF. So, so that's, that's the main thing we've done, you know, which other wearables have not done. And I think the other thing that we've done is, you know, really focus on things that we know are good for health. So if you look at other wearables, you'll see green lights or, you know, those can be really distracting, especially at night and bothersome. And, you know, we chose infrared, you know, everything we know about infrared light, it's, you know, that it's healing to the body, not harmful. And then additionally, it's it's actually not visible, right? So you don't even see it. So it doesn't bother you late at night, you know, or, or when you're sleeping, some bright light in your face, if you're cuddling with your partner. That's another thing we took into account. And then lastly, you know, really why this is ring is it's because that pulse signal on the finger is so much stronger, about a hundred times stronger than veins on the wrist, sort of where your wristwatch sits. And as a result, we need a lot less power, you know, one one hundredth the power to see that pulse signal. So because of that, we're able to use a much smaller battery 
right? And so if you look at our battery, you know, on average, it's about a 15 milliamp battery. I think if you look at the latest Apple watches or Garmin's, it's like a 200 to 300 milliamp battery, you know, so it's 10 to 20 times bigger. And so, you know, I'm a big believer in physics and so, you know, energy is, you know, neither created nor destroyed, but, you know, Oura Ring's battery is tiny and it lasts a week. And so, you know, we're not really emitting that much power versus these other things are almost like hockey pucks of batteries on your wrist and, you know, and the battery life is way shorter. And so they're, they're, you know, sort of illuminating a lot of power and a lot of, you know, potential EMF. So I think those are all the ways that we've thought through it and all the design choices we made to be as EMF friendly, as wearable as you possibly could be. Yeah, that is incredible. And I mean, I don't wear any of the other wearables and that's one of the primary reasons, but then looking into Aura, I, you know, read some of that and I was like, this is fantastic. So it really checks all the boxes. So thank you so much. This has been absolutely incredible. I know my listeners have been dying to hear this episode and now I can, I was already sold with being on the Aura train for life, but now I just want everybody to get one. The last question that I ask every single guest on this episode, and it's just because I realize more and more each day how important mindset is surrounding everything. So what is something that you're grateful for? I guess I'd say, you know, I'm grateful for having my health and having my family. You know, I think those are the people that shape me to who I am and, you know, being healthy is part of that because I'm able to function and in a way that I want to. And, you know, I think you know, we, we can't take that for granted. Ultimately health will unfortunately end all of our lives. Right. And, you know, so our time is sort of precious on earth and and being able to be healthy and understand my health and be able to work, you know, work on it as a company. I don't know what could be more meaningful. And so I'm just truly grateful for that. And, you know, personally for my parents, you know, my mom and dad, you know, really raised me to be curious, to explore, to try different things, to, you know, be bold. And, you know, if it weren't, if it wasn't for their encouragement, and their persistence, I, you know, definitely would not be here today. So super thankful for them. I love that. Does your whole family wear aura rings? Uh, <laughs> everyone but my sister. My mom and dad are wearing it. You know, it actually took them a while. So they started, I think, really about a year ago, they got into it. It was pretty cool to see because, you know, my mom's like, not that into technology. Like, you know, I love my mom, greatest person on her. She's my superhero. But, you know, she's she's not the person that's going to, you know, Honestly, if you ask her to forward an email, she'd be like, well, where, where is that button? But it's so cool because even her, like every morning, she just opens the app and she sees a little bit of data and she just asks herself, wait, what did I do yesterday that it's different today? And it's that self-introspection that we think is universal, regardless of how much you understand the data or not. And so it's, it's been pretty cool to see that. And one day I'll get my sister on it, but I think she's worried about the orthosomnia and the neuroticism of like having too much data. But yeah, both my parents have been using coaches. Tell her I said it's fine, that that was my concern and it's totally fine. <laughs> All right. Oh, wait, wait, really last question. Will you ever do custom aura rings? I saw the diamond one and I was like, that would be a good proposal. Engagement ring. Yeah. You know, something that I think we think would be really cool. It is a little hard, right? Because all the variance with like sizing the ring, you know, make it a lot harder. It's like, so, oh, you need a custom one in this size, that color, that model. What we've been trying to do is actually introduce more colors. So we just released a gold ring three weeks ago. You know, I think a lot of our female users obviously have been asking for that. It took us a while to make sure we got it right. So the color didn't fade. So I think we'll, you know, we'll do hopefully a lot more colors and a lot more design choices over time and and hopefully even some partnerships there's some really cool jewelry brands out there 
that we think we can innovate with and, and make, you know, Aura Ring even more appealing and make it look better to different audiences. So sign me up. That's exciting. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your day. And hopefully we can talk again in the future. Thanks so much for having me, Melanie, and, and really appreciate everything you do. I think, you know, the people you have on your podcast, you know, the inspirational and plus the health angle, you know, it really just think helps people be better versions of themselves. Uh, so I really appreciate you for doing that. Thanks. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. For more information, you can check out my book, What Win Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine, as well as my blog, MelanieAvalon.com. Feel free to contact me at podcast at MelanieAvalon.com. And always remember, you got it.